Welcome to Main Menu for February 25th, 2011. I'm Jamie Pauls. This week we bring you part two of our look at WindowEye 7.5 courtesy of GW Micro. Next, Chase Crispin reviews the Snowball Microphone. Finally, JJ Meta of Blind Bargains brings us another interview from this year's ATIA conference. In this interview, Doug Hacker, VP of Business Development at AI Squared, demonstrates Zoom Reader, an OCR app for the iPhone. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. said, would you disconnect from, oh no, I'm sorry, that was the same one. Yep, that was it. Okay, so I think I'm caught up on the chat messages. I'll let anybody that has a verbal message ask away, or more chats. Whoops, another one just came. What protocol is used for remote access? Uh, is it RDP used in the remote session? We're actually using remote assistance protocol that is on every operating system itself. That's what we're currently using. That may change over time, but that is what we're currently using. Um, Ron came back with scripts, now have the ability to check for updates. Now that the menus will be apps, will this affect the ability of older scripts to check for updates? No, not at all. That, that all that stuff will still work the exact same. So just changing from scripts to apps will not really affect any of the existing scripts, other than we hope those scripts might update themselves and call themselves apps instead of scripts. But everything should function, and we made sure the best we could to make sure that we were fully compatible with with older apps that are out there. Hi, uh, Doug or one of our other tech guys. There's a question here from Jonathan there in the text box. Said, can you talk about the Braille display interaction with remote desktop? Can one of you guys take that question, please? Sure. With the new uh, virtual Braille support that we have, if you have a remote connection, whether you're using remote desktop, terminal services, or Citrix, in the past we allowed you to have a what we call a virtual channel for the synthesizer. And basically all that means is, as I was kind of talking about with remote assistance, instead of porting over the entire sound card, which can be somewhat sluggish, especially if you're working online all the time, for remote assistance it's not so bad, but if you're online doing that eight hours a day, you want something that's responsive. So porting the sound card to be able to hear what's going on in the remote side can be somewhat expensive. So with the synthesizer, what we did was we actually just send the text, which is just just a few characters, you know, ANSI Unicode characters that are coming out. That's being sent across the virtual channel, which is extremely fast. And then it's sent to your local synthesizer and pronounced with your local copy of Window Eyes, which gives you a very responsive speech. We did not offer that with Braille in the past. So if you did Braille, what you'd have to do, which was somewhat cumbersome, was you would have to be using a serial Braille display a com that supported a COM port, so which meant you could not use Bluetooth, you couldn't use um, USB or parallel if you've got a really old one. You couldn't use those devices, but if it was a COM port, you could actually port the COM port output from the remote side to the local side and blah, 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 and your head explodes and it's way complicated. So it was very difficult to do that and you couldn't do it if you didn't even have a COM port. Where now it's just as easy as using a synthesizer. Now when you go to the Braille display uh, and select a Braille display, there's actually a radio button in there that says, do you want to allow this to be done through a remote session, whether it be um, terminal services or Citrix. And if you select, let's say, terminal services and you actually connect onto a terminal service session, remote desktop, whatever, 
then the um, output from the what would have gone to the remote Braille display will now be coming to your Braille display. So you actually are able to drive the remote side with your Braille display just as if you were using it locally on your current system. So it actually is just seamless. It just works the way you would expect it. All your, your keystrokes, you could be keying in, you can be doing whatever. It's still driving the remote side from your local Braille display. Okay, I'd like to take the uh, Firefox issue. Uh, someone had just written a, a quick question asking, is Firefox beta going to work with Windows 7.5? The answer is yes, for the most part. There are some issues that we found with it, and uh, we're, we're looking at them. Hopefully, they'll make 7.5, or if not that, then an update afterward. Um, Brian sent, uh, sent a message saying, will 7.5 load faster and manage program changes faster than 7.2 does? Well, the, the launch of Windowize, I mean, depending on your system, might take a, you know, up to a few seconds to do that. So I'm not sure if you're talking about that or if you're talking about a half-hour launch. I'm not sure. But typically, Windowize launches relatively fast, but we've not done too much regarding that. Um, and I'm not sure what you mean by manage program changes faster than 7.2 does. Can you be a little bit more specific on that, Brian? And Jonathan came back and said, can you explain why Braille support was left out of the beta? Um, again, I'm not following. As far as I know, the Braille support is in the beta. So um, can you tell me what, what leads you to believe that it is not in the beta? And Scott came with a question, will we ever have remote assistance where the other computer does not need a screen reader? Um, maybe. It's certainly possible to do something. Something needs to be on that other side to be able to send the speech, whether you're porting the sound or whatever. Um, Obviously, if you were doing a remote desktop, then you can, uh, well, uh, 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 no, you're still going to need a screen reader on that other side. So we, we might be able to do something where you could just load a simple little stub over there or something would still have to be run on the remote side. But um, as it stands right now, no, you would need Windows on that other side. So Jonathan came back with four remote desktop. The virtual Braille display support is in there in the beta for remote desktop. Have you tried that, Jonathan, in saying it's not working? Or, um, again, I'm, I'm confused because as far as I know, the remote support, the virtual channel for Braille display should be there if you're doing a remote desktop, terminal service, or Citrix session. That is in the public beta. Brian says, often when I change programs, speech is lost for a good minute or more. Will that time be shorter with 7.5? Um, again, I'm not aware of that issue. So I'm not sure what, um, for a good minute, so you just alt-tab away, and you're, you've lost speech for a minute, and this happens all the time? You may want to contact support on that one, because I'm not aware of that issue at all. Um, Keith said, question, will the remote assistance feature be one way to help people who might be limited with cell phone minutes, and such as far as technical support is concerned? Hope it can reduce calls and such. Well, you, you, the problem is you still need some way to communicate to the helper to give them that password. So again, you might be using Skype, instant messaging, um, whatever, to be able to give them that message or send them an email. But somehow you have to give the helper that password. And then once that password connects, they could then get onto your system. But right now, there is no voice necessarily. That may be something we will add. There's no way that you can talk to them over that unless, again, you have Skype or something like that. So if you're afraid about phone minutes, I would just install Skype. Use that to communicate back and forth if that's what you want to do. Ronald said, will there be ever a way to import profiles as well like you can do with place markers? 
Um, you want to be able to export your profiles. Um, <laughs> I guess that's not been asked before. There's certainly not impossible to do that. We just haven't, uh, that's the first that I've heard of that type of a request. You can certainly do it manually. There's a little bit of work involved, but if, you, if that is something that you really want to do, we could walk you through how that could be done manually. And Jonathan said, I have and haven't, no, I have and haven't worked. Oh, so he's saying he tried the virtual browser. I would say give our support a call and we could work through that with you. Um, last I knew, it was in the beta and working fine, but um, we can test that. Maybe something happened that it didn't actually make it in the, in the beta, but um, as far as I know, it should. So you may want to give our support a call and make sure that you're doing the procedure correctly, and then I will do that as well to make sure that it is actually functioning. Um, by the way, it does need to be, the beta needs to be on both sides for this to work. So you need to make sure whatever the server side is has the public beta installed on it as well. Doug, a question about global and program specific settings. Under the old system, I would have saved that as a separate set file, and that's still possible. But I'm a little bit confused about if, if I just check uh, program specific, uh, how that gets saved so that the system knows what's happening, if that question made any sense at all. I think it did. Um, the way that it does it right now is when you, you, all of our set files basically are any program specific set file that we ship, for the most part, says use global settings. And that's why when you make a global change, it affects all applications at once. There are a few exceptions to that where it makes sense that it's specific to that application and that type of thing. But if you want to actually make something specific to an application, then you go to our UI, you switch it from global, you switch it back to program, and you make your change. Now when you actually save the set file, that specific change will be stored with the local set file. So let's say I'm in Notepad. I make a change that's program specific. I save it. That setting will be in the Notepad set file. If it were global, then that setting would not be there. So when Windowize needed to know what that setting was, it would realize the local set file specific to Notepad in this case, didn't have it, so then it would go off to the global set and pull out that setting and use it. So global's always there as a backup. So only a program doesn't specifically say one way or the other, will it go off to global. So I hope that makes sense. So if I opened an application where I didn't have a set file forward already and I made, a, uh, made some changes that I wanted to be specific to that program, um, I, I mean, I, I guess what I should do is create a new set file, but in, in the beginning level, for example, that wouldn't happen. What would be the situation there? Right, so if you launch an application that has never had an associated set file to it, when you pop up Windowize, you have the option in the, t in the title bar to actually tell you what set is active and associated. If you had that enabled, you would see that the active set file is default.set, associated is none. So you will always have the default.set, and the default.set basically is a is a um, kind of a uh, pass-through right to global. So all of the default.sets say use global. So when you're in this new application, your default.set is all using global. You would go in and make your program-specific changes. You would then go in, and if you're in beginner menu, all you have to do is do a save, and Windowize will automatically create an association with the name of the application. So it'll change the name of default.set to, let's pretend Notepad didn't have an association. It would change it to Notepad.set and save it out and make that association, and you'd be done. 
if you're in advanced, you have the, the ability of saying what you want the set file name to be and how you actually want to associate it by title, by class, or whatever you want to do. So we want to make the beginner experience extremely simple, which I think we've done, and yet give the advanced user the power to do that. But that's what you do. You'd start with default. You do a save. If you're advanced, you'd give it the set file name. If you're beginner, then it will automatically save it to the name of the application. Thanks very much. Brilliant. I'm going to go and have breakfast now. Well, we've been going here at this for about a little over an hour now. There's a couple more questions there uh, in the text chat that we might uh, use to finish it up, but there's one from Ronald saying, can you explain the automatic redrawing feature in WindowWise? And then a question from uh, Carlos Johnson, oh, will there ever be a charge to use the remote help? Do you guys want to take care of that? Yeah, so I saw Scott said, um, can we use remote assistance from someone that's using JAWS. Um, right now, it does require WindowEyes to be on both sides. That's the way that it is currently set up. Ronald said, can you uh, explain the automatic redrawing of feature in WindowEyes? Um, I, think, I think you're referring to a feature that isn't used that much. But basically, what it means is if WindowEyes sees that a graphic was partially, redrawn, partially overwritten, then it will try to redraw the entire image that was under that. A lot of times what happens is, let's say I've got a, a either some text, whether it's a W or a graphic or something, and a window partially covers that. So it maybe covers half of the W or half of that graphic. When that window goes away, the operating system simply redraws the chunk that was covered. It doesn't redraw the part that was still visible. So we just see a half of a W or half of a graphic coming up there. The auto redraw feature says, hey, wait a minute. They have something just got redrawn that was the same rectangle that was there before, but only a chunk of it. So that tells WindowEyes, let's go back in and redraw the entire rectangle that originally was there to see if, in fact, it's a full W or a full graphic. And so we'll try to, try to redraw that entire image so that we can be sure that we're really getting the full thing, or if, in fact, it really is just a new something that just happened to be half of what's there. Hopefully that answers that. Um, Carlos said, will there be a charge to use the remote help? No, our current plan is not to require any additional money for that, as is typical with, with features that we add, including our remote desktop, Citrix support, all of that stuff just comes in. We don't try to nickel and dime people with that. Andrew asks, um, I have an issue in Outlook 2010 routing the mouse to the cursor while in the message list. Will this be fixed? Um, we do have that listed down, and I hope that that will be fixed. Well, guys, I think this would be a very good time to go ahead and uh, wrap this session up. Um, just a reminder, this has been recorded, and it will be posted to our uh, training website uh, probably tomorrow. Um, so if you haven't need to listen to it again, you can access it there. Um, just a reminder, we are planning on doing these uh, training seminars um, every second Wednesday of, of every month starting at uh, 2 p.m., and um, I'm excited to, to do this. I think we had a really good turnout today and um, hope to see you guys next time. Um, Brandon does have a question that says, if you want to help you in their later version of WindowWise, do you have to be using the same version or can you use 7.5 for this? So I'm assuming that's a remote question. Um, and just a reminder, if you do have other questions, you can always email our support guys at support at gwmicro.com. So Doug, do you want to take that question from Brandon real quickly before we sign off? Sure. Um, 
Well, right now you must have at least 7.5 on each system, but we're hoping that as we put out new versions, then you don't need it. We, the only reason you need 7.5 is because remote assistance didn't exist prior to 7.5, of course. But we would like to keep it just as we've done with our remote support, terminal service, Citrix, all that. The versions do not have to match on the server side versus the client side. We hope to keep that the same with remote assistance. Um, then I saw Ronald came up with one here. What about the something issues with using Alt F4? I'm not catching that, Ronald. What is that? What I mean is with the sense issues when the Alt F4 of like programs or different things or Alt Tab, will that be addressed in this beta or an upcoming beta for those people who have had problems with that? It really depends on on the situation that may have caused the silence, I'd say give the current 7.5 beta a try, and if it still happens, call our tech support department, and we'd be happy to walk through that and see what might be happening. Okay, I think this is a great point for us to, to call it a day here. Uh, if you do have extra any other questions, uh, feel free to give us a call here at GW Micro at uh, 260-489-3671. Just ask for our technical support department. They can help you out with any technical questions you may have. Or you can contact them at support at gwmicro.com. Again, this is uh, Drew, and I am very pleased to do this, and I really hope to see you guys here uh, next time. So take care, guys. Hello, Main Menu. This is Chase Crispin. And today I would like to give you some information about the Blue Snowball microphone. This is a USB microphone, meaning it does not plug into the 8th inch 3.5 millimeter jack. It plugs into a USB port like many other devices such as iPods and note takers and cell phones plug into. The microphone does not come on the stand, but the stand does come put together. And all you need to do is set the microphone on the stand and screw it into place. This is a tripod stand with three legs that are about five inches long each. And then there is a post on the stand that holds the microphone up. This post is about six to eight inches long, and this can be adjustable. At its shortest length, the microphone is about two inches off of the desk. I'm going to lower the microphone. And you do this by unscrewing a screw. This is the part with ridges on it about halfway up the stand. You might hear some background noise as I am recording this demo with the snowball microphone. So if you hear a noise, it is the snowball being lowered. I'm untightening the screw and letting the snowball fall down. Now the snowball is about five inches below me, sitting approximately the top of the microphone being about nine inches off of the desk and the support rod being about two to three inches tall. Now to raise the microphone back up, I'll pull it up and I'm going to screw in the screw because I like to keep it all the way up. You want to make sure the screw is tight and now this microphone is about six inches in front of me and approximately an inch lower than my mouth and you can still hear me very well. The microphone is round and it's pretty big. It is the snowball microphone and it does look like a snowball. There are three different colors you can choose when you're ordering it so it might not be white like a snowball but it is the size of a good sized snowball for those of you that are familiar with snow. If you're not, it is about the size of two tennis balls, so it's fairly big. I can put both of my hands around it and 
that I don't have to stretch my hands. But it's a fairly good sized microphone. It's not bumpy like a lot of microphones you see. It is smooth on the top and all around the edges. On the front where you would speak into it is the ridges. There is a ridge curved at the top and at the bottom of in front of you and then there are two little ridges or two little bumpy areas on each side of the microphone. And all these four areas I mentioned are, are divided by little pieces of plastic, which is what the rest of the microphone is made out of, which is what I'm tapping on now. Now, In the middle of those four areas is a oval, which has letters in it that say blue, because that this is a blue my, it, this is a blue microphone, not, not the color blue, but the company is blue. What I'm meaning is the company is called blue. So it says blue. On the back is the USB port. This is not your micro or sub B mini USB that you might see on many devices. But this is the square USB, just the normal mini, not the sub mini, just the normal mini USB port. Like you would plug into a scanner or a printer, or if you're familiar with the Icon or Braille Plus QWERTY docking station, it is that also same plug-in. The USB cable that this comes with is quite thick. You could use any USB cable that has a mini USB on one end and a regular USB on the other. This is a very sturdy cable, six feet long, that'll plug into your computer. You cannot use this microphone with a portable recorder, as it does have to plug into a USB port. So this is a microphone that's going to sit on your desk. Another feature of the microphone that I forgot to mention is the ability for it to move, which means I can spin it around just by grasping the microphone and turning it. It only goes about half of a turn, but it's to the left now, and now it's to the right. I'm turning it back to its normal position so that the bumpy areas and the word blue are right in front of me. Also, the microphone can tilt back and forth, so if I tilt it backwards, the bumpy areas where the microphone is and the word blue are now facing not all the way up to the ceiling, but they are pointed, they are slanted up towards the ceiling. If I tilt it down, it is now nearly tilted all the way facing down to my desk. I'll tilt it about halfway up so it's now in front of me. On the back by the USB port, there is also some more very small areas with the bumpy surface, and which is what I'm talking into now, and there is also a microphone back here. And what I mean by a microphone back there is more of the bumpy areas where it picks up sound. So there is a microphone surface both on the front and on the back, but nothing on the sides. But it is all one microphone, though. About an inch above the USB port, there is a switch. When the microphone is oriented so that the USB cable is facing away from you or towards whatever is in front of you, you will normally, when you're recording a demo or a podcast such as this, I have the snowball microphone in the rightmost position now. The middle position, I will slide the switch to the left now. And you probably heard it click as the switch is actually on the microphone. This is the setting that will pick up musical instruments and louder ambient sounds. The reason that my voice got quieter there was because in order to pick up those ambient sounds, it is less sensitive so that it doesn't clip. So if you're right up close to it recording a demo, if you have it in that position, your voice will be sounding farther away. And if I slide the switch again to the left, we are in the leftmost position, which is for outdoor environmental recordings or interviews where there's people far away from you or conferences and things like that. I'm going to set this back into the normal 
position, which is all the way to the right, which is where I do most of my recordings. I'm staying at least six inches from the microphone at all times. Now I'm probably about two feet away from it. As you can see, it is still picking up my voice very clearly, even though I'm not very close to it. And this is on the quietest setting meant for recordings in one place. And I will now put the switch on the leftmost position for far away things. And I'm now on that setting. My voice got louder, as you can tell. Now, the reason I'm doing this is I'm going to play the piano, as I'll explain in a second. But this piano is a good 50 feet away. So I'm going to have to have this on here, as even though the middle setting is meant for music, that's meant for close-up music. And this piano is a good distance away, so in order to pick it up, the middle setting will pick it up, but not very loudly. You'll have to listen real closely. On this setting, the, it'll pick up the piano very clearly. And I will go play on a piano, which is approximately 30 feet away. I will go play a few measures of Sonantina, the second movement, by Bach. set the snowball to the very leftmost position when the USB cable is facing away from you, which is what it is now on. I'm still at the same position I've been at the microphone, about six inches away. And I will now go outside of this room. This is a very large room. It's probably 20 feet long. The door's probably 20 feet away. I'll go stand outside the door and talk. I will then go into the other room on the other side of the house where I have drums and play a basic rock beat on the drums with the snowball on the on this setting, which is the outdoor and conference setting, so that you can see how the snowball will pick up loud sounds from very far away. I'm now walking out of the room. Now through the magic of editing, I'm now standing right outside the door, probably 20 feet from the snowball microphone, which is still picking me up. I'll now go play the drums. I'm now back to the normal setting, as I have a few more notes that I'd like to speak of before I end this demo. As you can see, this, the Snowball microphone 
is a very high quality microphone. There are higher quality ones, but this microphone is available usually for $99. I got this one on Cyber Monday on Amazon for only $43. So this is a very low cost microphone for the quality that you get, and is excellent for making podcasts and other broadcasts for places like Main Menu. If you'd like to hear more demos of this Snowball mic, you can listen to my most recent tech updates right here on Main Menu, which have been recorded with the Snowball microphone. As far as windscreens, the Snowball mic does not come with a windscreen, as you can probably tell because a lot of the P's I've said, like, PODCAST, though that was a little exaggerated, have popped into the Snowball mic. So there is no windscreen, so you got to remember not to talk really up close to it like this, but to get back far from it like this, which is about a foot away. Also, remember that when I played the drums, they sounded quiet on the recording, but they were completely on the other side of the house, and this is a fairly large house. However, since drums are loud, as everyone knows, they picked up very well. But those drums were, again, on the very far side of the house, one side of the house, and then this office where this computer and microphone is, is completely on the other side of the house. When you first plug in your Snowball microphone to your USB port on your computer, you will get the standard found new hardware wizard. You'll just basically have to click next and select if you want to choose for updates. You might not want to. This won't have updates, so just choose no. Click next. There is no CD that comes with this that you need to install. You just It's a plug and play device. You plug it in. You might have to click next a couple times in the found new hardware wizard and then it will be installed. Like all other microphones, you can control this one in the Windows volume control. Usually found in Start, All Programs, Accessories, Entertainment, Volume Control. You can also get to Volume Control by going to the Run dialog and on Windows XP typing SNDVOL32 or on Windows Vista and Windows 7 machines just typing SNDVOL. Here, the microphone setting will adjust the Snowball's microphone level. You can set the balance as well as the volume. Right now, I am on the normal recording setting for normal podcasting, which is all the way to the right, as I said earlier. And my Windows volume control has this set at 80%. So you could get this even more sensitive by turning your volume up to 100%. So you'll want to play around with this a bit on which setting is the best for you and how your Windows volume control settings should be set. With this, this will conclude the Snowball Microphone demo for ACB Radio's main menu. If you would like to know more about the Snowball, if you have any questions or there's any other sounds you'd like to hear with it, you can contact me by visiting my website at blindmobiletech.com. Welcome to another BlindBargains.com exclusive audio podcast brought to you by the AT Guys, your assistive technology experts. Visit ATGuys.com today for all your technology needs. Now, here's JJ Meadow. We're here with Doug Hacker, Vice President of Business Development for AI Squared. And AI Squared, known forever as the ZoomText people, but now have something new uh, coming out here at ATIA here in Orlando, uh, an iPhone app. Uh, Doug, welcome to Blind Bargains. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, you have a, actually you have an iPhone in there in front of you. Why don't we just talk a little bit and tell us a little bit about uh, Zoom Reader? Okay, um, Zoom Reader is an application built from the ground up for people who are visually impaired or, or perhaps blind, and we'll see as the use cases go forward. What it allows you to do is take a picture 
of mm-hmm. text. It converts that text to, to the tape, converts the image of the text to actual text with OCR technology, and then reads the text back to you using a natural sounding voice. Um, that's the simple straight through version. It's got a number of features layered on top of that, mm-hmm. um, including color filtering, like you might see in a video magnifier that allows you to show, for example, black letters on a yellow text or blue letters on a yellow background. Right. Um, the application is also very friendly to people who are visually impaired by allowing you to speak to it. So you can control the application with your voice. Okay. It's also very voiceover friendly. Um, as you know, voiceover is the built-in accessibility portion of the iPhone. The buttons and controls in the application are all voiceover friendly and actually announce themselves in a way that makes sense as opposed to just saying button sure. or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, so that's the, the basic application. is pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, that said... Um, it was a ground-up development. We spent a lot of time and effort on it. And at this point, it's probably what I would call you know, a mid-beta application, right. although we expect maybe two, two or three weeks to hit the market. Sure. So you might be able to show us a little bit of, of what's going on with the caveat that it, it's still a work in development. And Sure. What I'm going to do, rather than, since we're sitting in a conference room here, rather than... Um, take a live picture and convert mm-hmm. it to text. I'm going to pull a picture out of the camera roll that I've taken right. in the past. Um, so I click the button that says camera roll, and I'm going to click a picture. Image ready. And as you heard, it announces image ready. So also the program, as it's running, you don't have, you, you don't have voiceover on right now? Voiceover is not on right now. Can you, can you turn it on? I or? can. Let's go through it once this way okay. without voiceover sure, on. Sure, sure. So it speaks image ready to me to tell me that it's ready Using to go. Using its own voice, too, you, not yes, the voiceover voice. exactly. So we're telling an integrated speech synthesizer to say things right. as the program progresses. So now I'm going to click a button that, that says read. And it gives me a buzz, which you didn't hear, but text ready. So now it's it's extracted the text okay. from the image and is ready to read it to me. Um, this screen has a few things on it. One one is a settings option that allows me to control the font size mm-hmm. that's being displayed. It'll also allow me to pick a highlight color. So much like Zoom Text does with Doc Reader, we're actually going to highlight the text to the user as we read it. Okay. Um, the controls aren't as granular as we can do on the PC platform, so we're doing a sentence at a time mm-hmm. as opposed to a word at a time, but it's very helpful. And I'm going to pick, in this case, a large font with yellow highlight. And then I'm going to click a read button. AI Squared is here to help for over 20 years. We've been helping people use their computers with greater comfort and ease. We offer a range of screen magnification and screen reading software products to fit anyone's need. Whether you are visually impaired or squint at your computer screen and lean in to read the fine print, we have a solution for you. For Dan, so it's very clear. I believe that's nuanced. Yeah, that's a nuanced voice. It's the same same voice that ships on the PC platform. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's the latest version of nuances. It's called Vocalizer, mm-hmm. which is the upgrade from real speak actually sure and we can change speech rate there make it faster slower things like that as well it comes with both the male and the female or? Uh, it comes with one voice in the box in the mm-hmm. box <laughs> with the original the, download the one box. voice yeah but you can uh 
purchase additional voices as well if you'd like to. Okay, for in-app purchase, basically. Yep, in multiple languages as well. The OCR mm -hmm. supports, I believe, uh, I don't have these numbers right in front of me, but about 20 character sets. Mm -hmm. And we have right now six, about six different voices to purchase, and we'll expand those in the future. Right. Low vision being your primary market with ZoomText, so obviously this program seems like it's also tailored a little more towards uh, low vision than, say, maybe like a KNFP reader, which is more a totally blind product. Or I think I think that's fair. I don't think it in necessarily ends up there. Um, okay. I know the KNFB has some positioning information that they give feedback to the user about where the document is in mm -hmm. the positioning screen. We could certainly add that. Okay. Um, first version, no, it's more probably tailored to a low vision user right. um you're not against making it work well for the totally blind absolutely person, not right? it's just you know what we want to do we'd like to get the app on the marketplace and get some sure. feedback from a larger range of users before we decide what the next steps are sure so i think there's certainly an, an excellent opportunity to do that um but we just want to okay. go a step at a time sure. um there's a share button or a way to, to share documents yep after we extract the text i can share the things i can email I can copy the text of the clipboard that we've extracted. I can also automatically email the text, or I can email the picture to someone. Right. Um, the copying the clipboard especially is interesting, because while you might not be able to navigate by character or word in the app itself, you could at least send it to a program where you could. Exactly, if that was, if that was something that you wanted to do. And we could build that into mm -hmm. uh, eventually into the application. We could do, you know, we've considered doing swipe gestures to allow people to do navigation within the document itself. Mm -hmm. Like I said, for us, it's sort of a balance of feature-heavy versus time-to-market. So we wanted to do time-to-market first and get it shipping. Sure. Um, this also has some uh, video magnification features, um, correct, outside of the OCR? Or? Mm -hmm. We do. As I mentioned, there are some dedicated video magnifiers on the marketplace, usually mm -hmm. selling between three to $500, that do some fairly simplistic color filtering, like, uh, you know, they can say, Rather than true colors, I want the document that I'm looking at to be black characters on a white background or white characters on a black background. We do some of that as well in the front end of the camera application. Mm -hmm. The uh, And for Zoom Raider, um, any other um, anticipated features in the near future, other things you're looking to add? or Well, like I said, positioning mm -hmm. um, information, like where is this document you're trying to take sure. a picture of inside the application. Um, there are some interesting, you know, it's interesting in that a lot of these technologies have been here on the iPhone mm -hmm. for a while. We've always been able to do OCR. There's been speech synthesis. What we did, obviously, was build this application from the ground up to integrate all those things together. Um, there are some ways to go with what we do with OCR that we're considering. Right. Um, you know, there are some other outputs that you could think of, you know, possibly saving the the voice output as an mp3 file mm -hmm. um you know, we played with that I, i'm not sure the value of that feature versus the time it takes us to develop it so some of it we're waiting for it to get into the marketplace and we get feedback from users and say what if it did this what if it did that right and some features like that if you could already export to the clipboard and there's already another an app that does a good job at something like exactly. that and we just let it take care of it and exactly so so for us some of it is you know we wanted to build the base application be able to build off of understand the marketplace, understand who the potential customers are, because this isn't the only application sure. we're thinking about. We're thinking about lots of other mobile applications in the future. So this is a kind of a, a high-profile, 
interesting application to get people interested in what we're doing so that we can start building this new kind of segment of our business. Sure. And in probably a lot of ways, you can just use this app as to get let people know about your company and about ZoomText and the other products that you do. Exactly. You know, it goes both ways. We're not... You know, we're not building in explicit advertising for our other products or anything like that. We're keeping things very, mm-hmm. you know, clean because that's our philosophy. Sure. Um, but, you know, the development effort to build this application was pretty high. Mm-hmm. And w- without a clear understanding of what the potential user base is, we know that a large percentage of our customers via surveys and things like that are moving to iPhones, iPads specifically because of what Apple's done with VoiceOver and things like that. So it's... You know, in the AT world, we've heard a lot of talk over the last year about people thinking, oh, we should be in this space. Mm-hmm. But we just wanted, we wanted to do it without thinking, you know, without overanalyzing sure. the benefits, you know, for us. We wanted to have something successful out can, there. Can you turn voiceover on Absolutely. for a second? Make sure we hear a little bit how yep. it sounds. Obviously, it's still a work in progress. Yeah, I think the voiceover stuff is pretty good. What you what What is interesting is um, making sure that voiceover doesn't step on top of right. what what we're doing in the application Voice itself. Settings. Voice okay, so I've got voiceover on reader. now. Double tap Zoom Reader. Double tap to open. Because Zoom Reader is opening. Mm-hmm. Zoom Reader. Button. So speech for, control off. Double tap to change. So as you heard when it started, it said, it said mm-hmm. Zoom Reader, speech control off, mm-hmm. double tap to change. So that's the first button that comes up. So it's giving you more explicit instructions about yep. what it is you need sure. to do. So if I do that. Button. Speech control off. Double tap to change. Okay, so I changed that. So now I've got speech control on. Okay. Button. Control on. Now it's on. There we go. Okay, so now it's on. So I can do things like now that speech control is on, I can say zoom in and it's responding to speech and it will zoom in. Um, I can zoom out. I can um, hear some more voiceover okay. stuff. So speech control is not referring to the right. synthesizer, it's referring to voice. It's voice control. You're right, not the synthesizer. Okay. So we've got a lot of things going on here. We've got full voiceover support. Mm-hmm. We've got um, speech control, which is me telling the application what to do with my voice. Mm-hmm. Voice control, which we have to build ourselves. Apple doesn't actually open an API to make that happen yet. There are rumors right. that they'll do that soon. Um, but let's keep going through some of the controls here. Button. Choose photo from library. Double tap to select. Button. Capture photo. Double tap to capture. So Button. you have the option to take in a picture. Double tap to change. You can change flash settings. You can change flash settings. So if I go into the flash settings, I can do. Uh, selected. Button flash auto. Button. So this says. Tap to close flash selector. So this says, this is allowing me to say, I want the flash to be on the automatic settings that the camera would normally pick. Right. I can do this one. Button flash on. Button. Tap screen to flash selector. Flash on flash means on. I'm going to have it flash all the time, no, no matter, matter what. what the camera thinks. Button light on. Button. Tap screen to. So that's the light on. That's going to turn the light on all the time if you want to do that as opposed to the flash mm-hmm. in order to see the picture better. And it's saying also double tap the screen to get out of the selector. So we try very hard to make it say control. what it needs to say. Sure. Um, Button. Color filter. Double tap to select. So, you know, there's the quick. That's the color filter one. It says double tap to select. Sure. The color filter. So when I do that. A. Button. Yellow letters on blue background. Tap screen to close color filter selector. 
So it's very verbose from the voiceover standpoint. It tells sure. you exactly what it is that's going on. We didn't want it to, you know, since we're an AT company, we don't want it just to inherit voiceover because the natural thing voiceover would say in that case is the button has a picture of an A on it. Mm-hmm. So voiceover's natural thing would be to say button A. a right. Right. So we've, we've made yeah, sure so you that. put your own tags on right, it. Right. We made sure that we paid attention to all those things throughout sure. the application. Sure. Um, as far as the actual OCR, um, is it being done on the phone or is it done in the cloud? It's done on the phone. You know, that was a decision. That's another place we could go later on is allow the user to pick where the OCR happens. Sure. We, you know, the best cloud, doing it in the cloud um, probably gives you a lot more processing power eventually mm-hmm. and perhaps better results to be seen. But, you know, the use case for the application is often somebody's in a restaurant or at a place where, you know, maybe there's no connectivity. Sure. So we certainly wanted it to work that way first, and that's the first thing out of the box. We're using um, the OCR technology from Abby, A-B-B-Y-Y. Oh, yeah. Been in the industry for 20 years, you know, state-of-the-art stuff. Uh, you know, it adds cost to the application to be able to license that technology, but we wanted to do it right. We compared... Uh, that technology with some open source engines that mm-hmm. are available. The Abbey stuff is approximately you know, five times faster on complex documents. And the accuracy, you know, I can't give that a number, but it's, it's obviously much better. They're the ones that make fine reader. Yep, and, and absolutely. Very so, popular OCR uh, products. Right, it's stuff that's been on readers. the market for years, mm-hmm. so they know what they're doing. There are some open source packages that we tested, and we, we, we just weren't happy with the results. So there are, like I said, there are some... Other OCR apps available on the iPhone, almost all using open source. Right, you take, a, you take a program like Satex, Satex that yeah. is probably what they're doing, is some sort of open source um, solution. Is there going to be a trial available? It's hard to do trials mm-hmm. of, this, of this application. It's hard to do iPhone trials, you yeah. know, one way or the other. Um, we, what we think we've built is we've built a couple demo videos okay. that go through the feature set very well. Um, you know, screenshots. We're trying to make it as transparent about what it does as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought about, you know, what a lot of applications on the iPhone do is they offer something that looks like a light version, mm-hmm. and then you can upgrade or pay money for the real version. Um, for us, this is kind of a front-to-back application. You know, everything needs to work. Yeah, It's hard to say, let's chop this down and really give someone something that looks like a trial experience. Right. So the only right, I can maybe think of is that if you had to let it do so many pictures, and then and then it would yeah, cut out. Yeah, uh, that's possible. We may we may get there. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, what we were interested in is kind of time to market and getting right. this out there. And then once that's done, let's go back and say, is there there are ways to change the experience? You know, we've we've relied on kind of our own you know our own employees who are visually impaired, our own design sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been an iPhone owner for. Oh, I don't know, way too long. Yeah. Um, so to think about how this application f- should work for people. But, you know, we're totally sure. open to feedback and seeing what comes back. Sure. The iPhone obviously being the predominant or uh, one of the predominant mobile phone technologies for the blind, at least as of late. Um, any thoughts of moving to Android or other platforms in the future? <laughs> All our developers want us to move to the Android. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be great. The The difficulty there is that you know, Apple has built this incredible ecosystem that allows mm-hmm. developers to actually build applications and maybe return some money to them on their work. Right. I think the ecosystem on the Android side is n- not really comparable. Mm-hmm. It's it's a marketplace in which a lot of people aren't willing to pay for things. Right. Which is perfectly fine. You know, it's a different way to do things. 
But for us, you know, we've made a pretty serious monetary investment here. And while, you know, we don't expect this to be a huge profit maker for AI squared, we think this is the starting point for us. Sure. We, we need to have some return on investment there. And that's a different programming language. Everything's different. To go over to Android. It wouldn't be just a quick port it over and be done within two seconds. Not even close. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, the whole development that we have to be redone. Obviously, the, we, we help the user interface and the, the process flow would be the same. But from a standpoint of development, you essentially have to do the whole thing over. So I guess some of that would probably depend on how well the iPhone app does and maybe even in the mainstream community, if, if there's a, a market that picks up on this app that's you know totally sighted, maybe they just want to convert text and have a good OCR program. Right, and that's what that's what we're certainly hoping for. We're pricing it at nineteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. you know, so we think that gives us an opportunity to say this is a general purpose application. One of the things that we're trying to address is you know, the proliferation of great technology in the AT industry, but with single-use devices that are generally expensive. You know, there's some, there are some devices out there that do similar things and sometimes more, but the price of some of those devices is more than $1,000. Sure. You know, so, so we see a lot of our user base moving to this platform and having already made the investment, what value can we give them mm-hmm. for a price that's affordable and makes sense? Sure. Um, on a completely different note, there was um, a, a very drop-in-the-hat rumor mentioned at ATI Chicago about a, a, a consideration of a Zoom text for Mac. Ah. Is, are you thinking about it? Or is there, is there... <laughs> um, there's no official company stand on that, other right. than I can say this. We would love to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've spent a lot of time thinking that it would be a good idea, but not really getting there. Um, right now, we're trying to have some technical conversations with some folks sure. at Apple to say, if we wanted to do it, can we? Because some of the things we do on the Windows side to pull off you know, the complexity of ZoomText, we're not sure if, one, we can get to the same information on the Mac side, mm-hmm. and two, if we did, they'd be happy about that. Sure. So we're... we're Engaging in conversations with some folks at Apple to try right. to get those questions answered. Can you get low, basically low level enough into the operating system to get all the information that you need? Exactly. And if we did, you know, I think the the general feeling is that if we did, would Apple be happy about that if they didn't sanction it? Sure. Um, so, and in the 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 story we get is, you don't really want to do that with Apple. They're they're you know, when they provide information, that's what they want you to use. Well, and also some would say, you know. What's the point? Why would you create a magnifier uh, for the Mac? I think that question is fairly easy answered by mm-hmm. anybody who has to use it. Um, right. It's great that Apple included a magnifier, much like on the PC side. Right. But for someone who has an actual visual impairment and needs some of the professional level stuff we do, it's just not good. It hasn't come nearly as far as no. voiceover. And even some would argue that a voiceover doesn't go as far as the, the screen readers for Windows. So, uh, Which is probably true. I think yeah. voice. For built-in technology, voiceover is pretty amazing that they're doing that. So what we do, we would have a different product mm-hmm. on the Mac side than we would on the PC side because we'd want to leverage voiceover right. as much as possible and say, you know, do we need to recreate some of the stuff we did on the Windows side now that there's this right. really capable... You might not need to build in your own speech and just let voiceover right. do its work. And, you know, Apple has indicated to us that they, they plan on, you know, enhancing voiceover perpetually. That's a product they really stand behind, and they're going to keep moving mm-hmm. forward with that. On yep. the magnification side, you know, not so clear. So that's another thing. Right. Is there a competitive thing where we put a bunch of effort in, and then Apple steps up and says, you know what, 
we're going to do all this. So we need to be careful. About and that. I see what you say, definitely being careful, especially now with the Mac App Store. And, of course, you'd want to be listed in that. Mm. And, and you'd want to make sure that. Now, now, all that said, they've been every conversation we've had with them has been very right. supportive, very informative. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been very engaged. We're just not at the point where we know exactly how all the pieces fit together. Sure. Um, I believe it was, somebody on Twitter said that I needed to ask you about a Zoom Text 10, but there's, there's, there's always a next version. Um, any media, what's the immediate plans for, for Zoom Text that you can always actually tell me version. about? <laughs> um, yeah, Zoom Text 10, obviously in development. Um, it's, it's been in development for a while. One of the, the things we're looking at is generally this, you know, the Windows platform is moving in some very interesting and different places in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we want to be ready for that now. When that happens, we right. want to we want to the next version of Zoom Text that comes out. We want to make sure we don't have to re-architect it to support that stuff, which means it takes us longer to get to market sure. because some of that stuff is still, you know, in its own sort of development phase. Um, we're also thinking of Zoom Text 10 as a user-focused release, mm-hmm. which is like we've spent. It's a fairly mature product in a mature industry, so now we're thinking let's step back a little bit and say. How are people using this product? What are we giving to them? Let's make sure that we make the product as usable as possible and help people do the tasks they need to do mm-hmm. rather than spend time saying, you know, what's the next feature? What's the next thing we sure. can add? You know, make sure that the product is actually performing and giving people the kind of functionality they need. Sure. I'd ask the release date question, but I think I already know what you're going to give me as an answer. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I'm going to give. So. Yep, exactly. Uh, people want to get more information about uh, AI Squared. What's the best way to do that? Um, obviously, the website, AISquared.com. Um, the mobile applications will be at mobile.aisquared.com. Yeah, we noticed that. Um, <laughs> yeah, somebody noticed that. We weren't trying to hide it. You know, this is not, <laughs> this isn't, you know, it's interesting that, you know, a product launch will be a big thing. We'll make noise when the product launches, right. but. You know, we feel like we're out in front of this, mm-hmm. and it's not like there are a bunch of other people doing the same thing, so we're not trying to be, right. you know, kind of under, underground about the whole thing. Sure. Um, on the A Squared website, too, to learn more about stuff, we've been kind of enhancing the stuff we're doing from the marketing side. There are a bunch new, of new tips and tricks videos, training mm-hmm. vid- videos. We conduct two webinars a week for new Zoom text users, so we're doing a whole lot to educate people who are already Zoom text users or need to know more about it. So we're trying to put a lot more effort while the next product, you know, is in development to making sure we educate people as much as possible about what's out there right now. Sure. Um, when do you have a phone number? Uh, 802-362-3612. That's our Vermont number. The mm-hmm. 800 number is on the website. It's not coming to me right now. Sure. Well, go to AISquared.com and you can look it up. Uh, Doug, thank you so much for uh, showing us a little bit about this new app and for uh, talking to us about AI Square. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. This has been another exclusive audio podcast from Blind Bargains. Visit blindbargains.com for the latest technology deals, news, and interviews. So long. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week. Music